We are continuing in our sermon series today on um, who Jesus says he is. So we've been looking at the seven statements of Jesus, and um, today we are continuing by looking at um, perhaps one of the most famous of all, and um, and I think I kind of got the short straw in one way, because actually the, in this one, in this statement, there were actually three statements. So, you know, these guys are pretty lazy, actually, I think, because they only take one at a time. But um, they've given me the way, the truth, and the life, this massive, massive claim that Jesus makes about himself. And, and I think it's quite timely, actually, because um, you'd have to be buried under a rock, really, I think, or living under a rock, to not realize that Billy Graham, um, the famous prominent evangelist, um, passed away within this last fortnight. And this was um, a, an I am statement that he literally had uh, above his life. Over his life was written, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's had it engraved. Um, he asked for it to be engraved on his gravestone because he spent his life telling people about Jesus, telling people and um, preaching to thousands and saw many, many, many saved. And um, a Bible study group I go to on a Wednesday, our leader there, she became a Christian at a Billy Graham um, camp, um, crusade years ago. And, and I just, I learned, I love hearing that and hearing that. I knew about that even before he passed away. He lived every one of his 99 years, well, at least since he was saved, he lived in declaring this truth. So um, um, it's a massive, massive topic though, and it's really, really rich in theology. And I have to confess that whilst I've absolutely loved studying it, I have to be honest, as I've gone into these massive topics, I have got myself quite lost at points in just, wow, the wonder and the awe of them. And so um, I'm really praying that this morning, um, you'll bear with me if I start going down one of those little roads, um, because it's kind of unavoidable, but also bear with me if I skip over stuff and actually leave you going, oh, but you didn't quite say all of that, what there is, because we can't, can we, in 30 minutes or so, we can't hope to cover everything. So I am really just, yeah, Lord God, I just pray that you would take my words this morning, would take your words and bring them to life for us, God, would would the preparation and would the things that you want to sink into our hearts really come? Lord, I thank you that even in the worship time this morning, you've already begun to pull out and to tease out uh, the things you're wanting to put in place today, the foundations um, that you're wanting to um, build our lives on, the truths that you're wanting to break into our hearts with. So I pray that you will continue that now as we read and as we um, look at you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so turn with me to um, John, which is one of the uh, one of the four gospels. Okay, one of the, um, the books written by Jesus' followers about him um, in the New Testament. In John fourteen, chapter fourteen is where we're heading today. And I haven't actually prepared it to be on the screen. I'm really sorry about that. I don't know if we can sort that out. But if you have a Bible, or even if you have a phone, you can find this on your phone as well. Um, it's amazing what we can do now. Um, and we're going to read chapters. Uh, we're going to read from chapter 14, and um, you'll see I'm not even going to read all of it, but we're going to um, find out where this is set, this um, statement of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, in my dad's house, are many, many rooms. If it were not so, would I, wouldn't I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in, him, in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. There's so much here. He goes on. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. I'm really tempted to just sit down now. <laughs> Whoa, there's just so much, isn't there? Like, you could just pick one verse, which is sort of what we're going to do. Um, but he explains it in so, in so much detail, doesn't he? Here they are, the disciples. Let's get the context. Here they are in the upper room with Jesus. They've given up everything, these guys. They've left their homes. They've um, left their careers. Remember, they left their nets and their other careers. And they have set out um, and followed Jesus. They've, they've walked up. They've, they've followed wherever he's gone. They've um, climbed mountains with him. They've seen the miracles that he has done. They've left it all behind because of their hope that he is the Messiah. And that's what they're believing in. And they've just had the triumphal entry coming into Jerusalem, really excited. Jesus is kind of at the height of everyone's talking about him. He's kind of at the height of his fame, if you like. He's got this following. This is really exciting. And, and yet there's also some danger. And Jesus is here... Um, in the upper room with his disciples. And in, these, um, in this chapter, in the ones preceding and just following, he's really trying to bring something of his heart to his disciples as he's trying to prepare them for what's about to happen. Um, because he is bringing the reality. He's saying to them, our time together is short, and I'm soon going to be leaving you. Can you just imagine how terrified they are? That's why we have these questions from Thomas and from Philip. And they're just saying what we're all thinking. They are terrified. What is he trying to explain? Why would he leave now? They're going to be utterly plunged into darkness and despair. And he knows it. And so he's trying to prepare them, to comfort them. He's trying to give them some grounding for them to put their confidence and hope 
in him to be able to not be troubled. And that's what I believe Jesus wants to do for us today as well, because we all know what that feels like, don't we? To just be confused and scared and upset about, my, about our lives. Like We really don't have to look very far to find things that will upset us. To, we just have to live a few days to realize that our lives are not perfect that this world is painful. We turn on the news. There's so many threats. There's so many things we can worry about. It's kind of at epidemic levels, really, isn't it? Because it's not, we've got so much more information now. As well, we, we read the news. We're worried about Brexit. We're worried about the kind of nuclear threat going on. There's those sorts of world troubles. Then there's our own ones. And I tell you what, each day I kind of get up and it's really hard not to just put on the backpack of worry, isn't it? And carry all of that around. And like, just kind of, you know, what am I going to do about my kids? Like, oh, what about this world they're growing up in, God? What's the right way? What's we, whatever your thing is, I know you can put in your own example right now. What do you worry about? And Jesus is, I believe, in this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, wanting to bring comfort, not just, he wasn't just bringing it to his disciples, but he's bringing it to us today, and I believe that's what he's going to do. What revelations about him turned these frightened disciples, terrified, timid, into passionate God followers who, like Billy Graham, spent their lives telling others about Jesus. So let's start with Jesus's the way. This statement, as we, as most of Jesus's things are, we kind of covered this in previous weeks, is really quite offensive to our modern world, isn't it? You know, and um, it really doesn't like absolutes. We live in a very tolerant society, don't we? A very PC society. I'm sure you've got friends, family, maybe you've used these words yourself in the past. Um, you have your way and I'll have mine. If it's good for you, that's fine. As long as you try to be a good person, then your religion doesn't matter. It's like, so long as you're not like them, <laughs> so long as I'm not like that person, I'm, you know, we're all right, aren't we? Then, you know, I wouldn't do that. Like, let's just try and be good. That's the sort of thing that the world is trying to say. But to say I am the only way is really quite acceptable, um, is quite unacceptable in our world. And I love this quote by um, Lewis Carroll because um, it's from Alice in Wonderland. He says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Let, let that sink in. That's the way of our world, isn't it? And because it doesn't really know where it's going, what the way to, what they're going after. What are we going after? Okay, I'm going to go after success. I'm going to go after fame. I'm going to go after happiness. Or maybe it's just about finding that little bit of peace. I tell you what, I'm going to go and live on an island. I'm going to take as many holidays as I can. I'm going to um, back away from any kind of troubles. I'm going to build walls to protect myself from hurt. And the world bombards us with different ways we can do that. Flip through magazines, perfect homes, perfect bodies, the perfect jumper. Um, you know, like Meghan Merkel, that M&S jumper she wore sold out in like that night when she went to Wales recently because that's like, oh, I've got to be like Meghan. That'll be, that'll be it. And it's bombarding us. But the reality is we also know that people, that if you try and buy into that, the pinnacles of these just aren't all that they promise to be, are they? You know, celebrity suicide rates. We don't. I mean, they they speak for themselves, don't they? And Jim Carrey, um, the actor, said, "I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of, so they can see it's not the answer." So, what way is Jesus speaking of here when he says, "I am the way"? Is this the blueprint to success, to a trouble-free life? Well. 
Jesus' followers were all hoping and longing for a Messiah, for a deliverer. The Jewish nation longed for a day when the Messiah would come, that he would bring down their oppressors. He would restore them to their heyday. Remember the glorious days of Solomon, the days when he led them out, when he defeated their enemies, when everybody came to see the glory of God is with these people. Okay, this is a glorious kingdom on earth. That's what they were anticipating, that they would enjoy a victory over their enemies and their oppressors. They'd be favored over other nations. But the way that Jesus is speaking of, and the reason that his disciples are left plunged into despair and thinking, what are you doing? Is that he, that he knows, Jesus knows, that God's plan is to completely restore people into relationship with Jesus. It is a plan for mankind to restore God's relationship with the world, a way to deal with the barriers, the barriers that we've put in place because of our sin, our inability to measure up to God, a way to deal with the hardness of our hearts that keep on pushing God away, that keep turning back to all these man-made things, all these false idols, because Jesus says, I am the way to life, to freedom. There's only one way to deal with sin. And it does need to be dealt with, doesn't it? It does need to be dealt with. We have found that we can't get there on our own. It just doesn't work. We can't get ourselves back to God. I can't go, God, look at me. I am not like Neil. Sorry to pick on you. I'm not like Neil, God. Like, I, I don't do this or that. I, I'm better. I can't say that. I definitely can't say that. You're all right. Okay. We can't make ourselves look presentable. I can't live better for God. I just can't. I'm powerless to do it. And Jesus said the only way is that he has to be the way. Our sin must be atoned for. Our holy and just God must atone for my sin. He must atone for what has been done by us. It's got to be punished. And Jesus himself has become our way to do this. The great exchange. We've been singing about it this morning, haven't we? Amazing grace that you would give your life for me. It's amazing love. He is the one. And God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So where mankind constantly, where the Israelites um, and any other followers and seekers of God had to keep offering sacrifices to cover up their sin, to deal with their sin, Jesus becomes the perfect lamb to atone once and for all. Where Israel's hearts, where our hearts keep pushing God away, keep saying, no, thank you, I'm going to figure this out for myself. And that really just shows that we're quite selfish, that we don't want someone to tell us that this is the way. We're just like, no, thank you, I'll, I'll do it my way. Think of that song, I'll do it my way. That's what this world is like, yeah, my way, I can, I can do what I like. Well, Jesus replaces our hearts of stone with soft hearts towards God. It's Jesus. Where the law shows us we can't measure up, it highlights our inability to ever get there, Jesus fulfills the law. He satisfies it completely. He becomes, for me, the only way to get to the Father. Because God so loved the world, and that includes us. 
He loves you. He loves me so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He's died once and for all. Christ, Christ alone. So we just simply can't get there, can we? We need him to come and find us and take us there. And um, once I was hiking as a, a kid, I used to do this com- competition. And um, when I was about 14, and there'd be a group of five, sort of five of us, we'd be dropped off. We were competing against other teams in Wales. And we had to go um, and find certain checkpoints. And then we had a few days to do this. We had to be in camp, though, um, overnight. We had to trek with our backpacks and everything. We had to get to our campsite and be there for a few hours so that the leaders could come and check, the adults could come and check that we were safe, that we were all right, that we didn't need anything. And, um, and we um, set off this first time I did it. We had our map. We knew what we were supposed to do. And um, we got really, really lost. <laughs> We'd done really well, actually. We got lost to the point where we could actually see our camp. But instead of trusting the map that we'd been trusting all along, We decided that we would just find our way down and we put away that compass. We put away that guide. And um, the end result was five very frightened, very cold, partially injured, 14-year-old girls clinging to pretty much a, a... cliff face. Um, You've all been on hills where you can see the valley. We could see the campsite. We could see the light shining in the campsite. We could see it down there, but we couldn't get there. We couldn't find our way back to the path. It was dark. It was cold. It was about 11 o'clock at night. Um, We really were absolutely stuck. And one of the girls twisted around. We were on this sheer face. There was sheep going, look at me. I can sheep, so I can do it. You can't. Um, They're like gambling around, but we couldn't get that down. We couldn't go back up. We just couldn't see the way at all and the long and the short of it is we had to we had to put up a tent we had to get inside because we were freezing it was November um we um we had to get out our phone and we had to ring with the emergency phone this was back in the days so there weren't really many mobile phones it was like this big um I wasn't the one having to carry it um and we had to get out and we had to ring the guys the the, the teachers and say we're here and we cannot get to you we know we're supposed to be there by midnight but we can't get down we're completely and utterly lost and guys that is us isn't it you know those teachers came up the hill and they found us and they led us down and the next day we absolutely went what is that so obvious we walked straight past the path we rejected the path we felt we're trying to find our own way and Jesus says you can't you need me you need me only me I am your way And my question today is, are you still trying to find and make your own way? Are you still striving, trying to get there yourself? If you are, can I urge you, God says, put your trust fully in Christ today. Because we only get there on his merit. His merit alone. Let him set you free today. Let him show you his way. Let him be your way. How are you trying to depend on your own abilities where are you struggling? Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Okay? Let's look to him. So his second statement today is that he is the truth. And in a world where truth is increasingly subjective and a personal 
interpretation of truth rules the day. My tr- I'll have my truth, you have yours. The objective truth of Jesus Christ as saviour of the world is really important, isn't it? This objective truth. It's far more than just a fact, actually. Okay, This truth isn't just a fact that, like, if I sit on that chair, it will bear my weight. That's a fact that I can hope in. But actually, this truth changes us. It acts upon us. I can't change the truth, but it can change me. In the Bible, and John declares, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I believe that God wants to do that this morning. There's some truth that he wants to just land in us today um, that's going to bring a new freedom, a new life, because he is life. And he is freedom and he is truth. Truth is reality. It's the way things really are. And what seems to be and what really is are often not the same. But to know the truth is to have our eyes open, to see accurately, to stop being blind. To know the truth means that we're no longer blind. And John's gospel, he explains it to us. He says, this is why I've written my gospel. He says, these things are written so you might believe in Jesus Christ, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you'll have life in his name. His whole purpose was to show us Jesus's divinity, okay, that Jesus is God. And this gospel continually tries to reveal that um, how Jesus reveals God to mankind. So Philip, like Philip, lots of us might ask the question, what's God like? How can I really know him? You know, Noah, just the other night we were chatting and um, at bedtime, they always come up with stuff at bedtime, don't they? It's a great time to get into the heart of things. And he said, he said I love all these stories, mum, but how do I know that he's true? How do I believe? I love the story of Daniel and the lion. I love the story of Jesus walking on water, but it's like, how do I believe? How do I believe it? How do I know what God is really like? And scripture says, because of Jesus. What is God like? Because of Jesus. We can know God through Jesus. Maybe my illustration was slightly unhelpful, but (laughs) Jesus says, I do the very works of God. I speak the very words of God. That's what he's explaining in that bit. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, all of that in the passage. And he's trying to get across here to these really scared, confused disciples who have gone from feeling totally like, yes, 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 come on, try and blunt to, what, where are you going? How can this be good? He is, they're like, all those amazing miracles. Peter walked on water with Jesus when he was looking at him. He was drowning when he was looking down. But when he was looking at Jesus, he walked on water. They'd seen people like tax collector Zacchaeus completely changed, haven't they? They'd seen these incredible signs and wonders. And he's saying all of that was because I'm God with you. All of that could happen because I am God with you. To see and know Jesus is to know God, okay? And the path to knowing Jesus is remaining in his truth, in his word. He didn't just show the truth or teach the truth or model the truth, a set of rules. It isn't just do this like me because it's the way, it's the right way. We have the law for that. But that's what other religions do, isn't it? They're like, live like this, do this. He says, I am the truth, truth personified. I embody truth. 
Okay, he's the source of truth. And so he is our measure, isn't he? He's the reference point for evaluating all truth claims. Okay, he's the way, the truth, and the life of God to us. And, you know, he said to the Jews that were trying to kill him, seeking to kill him, that my word does not live in you. My word doesn't abide in you. He pointed out to them, you're searching the scriptures, thinking that they've got life in them. But all of scripture points to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it, isn't he? It was all about that. If you were in Amanda's seminar last week, she showed us how, even back in Genesis, when Abraham has to take, is asked by God to go and sacrifice his son, and they walk up that, that actually, that's just a picture of God's love, isn't it? Of how he's going to sacrifice his son, and he is going to provide a way to restore us. All of Scripture points to Jesus, and people reject the truth of Scripture. They reject Christ because they are unwilling to face the truth about their own sinful state and their own inability to get there themselves. It's offensive. Like, how, are you, how dare you tell me that I'm not going to? How, how dare you tell me that the way I'm living my life isn't the right way? And as followers of Christ, we need to remember we come to his word not just to learn truth about God. We come to his word to meet with Jesus. We come to meet with the risen Lord, the real truth of God, this relationship with Christ, which actually sets us free. Okay, there's life in his word. And it's that life that um, he's pointing to, that, can, um, that revelation that he is and always was, <laughs> that, he, that helps us in our troubles, in our present troubles, doesn't it? Because knowing that God's at work in any part of my life means that I'm not suddenly going, oh, I'd really rather not be in this trouble right now. Can you get me out of this circumstance, God, because you've just abandoned me. Why have you abandoned me? Move this, change this situation for me so that I can feel safe again. <coughs> Maybe you've got anxious thoughts like that. What do they reveal about what you believe about God? Okay. A choice to trust in God is the only peace that we can get, isn't it? We don't have all the answers. There will be things that happen that we cannot understand, just like these disciples. Pain is guaranteed. But how does your view of Christ change your anger, your disappointment, your feelings of abandonment when you realize that he is the ultimate truth of God? When you realize that he is with you and present in all situations, that he is faithful, can you trust that he is still the author of your life, that he's still got purposes and plans for you? We might be in the dark about what God's doing, but we're not in the dark about God. His character is true. I'm going to say that again because that just, we may be in the dark about what he's doing right now, but we're never in the dark about him and who he is. That's the revelation that Jesus has brought. He says, to know me is to know God. And, do you know, I, um, I'm so thankful for this in my life. I honestly couldn't do life. The things that have come in our lives, in my life and in our family life, 
I genuinely am so thankful for the fact that God is my firm foundation. I can trust in him no matter what. And, um, do you know, three years ago, some of you knew us then, when um, we'd not long been here um, in Liverpool. And um, we just, we, we, the church was quite young still. We um, had um, a, a young baby. We'd just been doing our extension. And Chris's health became really, really vulnerable again. So he has a long-term condition. It kind of goes up and down. But it was really looking quite dire. And there was talk of bone marrow transplant and all this kind of terrifying stuff. I kid you not. I was terrified. <laughs> it's big. And then suddenly my um, our youngest, who was about um, eight months old, um, ended up being rushed into all the hay with a meningitis scare. And, um, you know, it's like all happening at once. My grandma died that week. I mean, it was just really like life was just chucking it all. And I know there's plenty of you here in this room. I'm like, Jenny, the poor Calcraft family live in the hospital. They're like, get thing. Like life can throw so much at us, can't it? You've got your own stories. But, do you know, um, Rachel brought me, Rachel Gillard brought me a um, CD that week. She brought me the CD uh, with that song we've just been singing, You Make Me Brave. <laughs> um, and, um, and I loved the truth that was in those scriptures, in those songs, and in the Psalms. They got me through standing on truth of who God is, singing it over our family, declaring it, brought peace into my situation that I could understand that he was with us in that time. Okay, peace followed my declaration of who he is. And um, we know that praying, God always hears us. That's his promise in this, in this passage, isn't it? So we can pray to him knowing that he is always, always in control. That is such a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't it? That he is always God. He's always there. Um, the life, Jesus is the life. There's two massive theological truths in here. Um, and... The Bible will start off with the fact that the Bible tells us that though we might be physically alive, we're breathing, that we're actually totally and utterly dead spiritually. We're dead to God. Not half awake, but literally dead. There's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing in us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's pretty dire, isn't it? Even the nation of Israel, they had this covenant relationship that God had made with them. They continued to say, uh-uh, God, I'm going to reject you. I don't want to do it your way. Their hearts are described as being hearts of stone. They kept on turning to idols, to created stuff, okay, the stuff of the world, and putting themselves first. And the law just exposed the hardness of heart, their inability to please him. So God knew he needed to give us a heart transplant, okay, to change us completely from the inside out. So he says here that he's made us a new creation, that to make them a new creation, to reconcile us, he'd have to do that by replacing our heart with his heart. And that's what he does in his death, that he becomes the death, the curse, and gives us his heart. Jeremiah 31 puts it like this, says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will, write, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. By becoming the fulfillment of the law, Jesus makes this not any longer about um, 
a relationship where we've got rules that we can't keep, but it becomes about knowing him, about having his life, his heartbeat in us, him dwelling within us. He's swapped, he's exchanged our sin nature for his life. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth coming to live in us. At the end of that passage, I just found it. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Our hearts are going to know him and know which way to please him because we have his heart. Our hearts will know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. He lives in us through his spirit so we can live in relationship on this earth now with him. He's opened our eyes. He's transformed our hearts. We're a new creation. And that is the power that he has given us to live for him. He talks about sending that helper, doesn't he, to live in us, the Holy Spirit. He has to go so his spirit can come and continue that work, the work that he's begun. You know those disciples? They were giving up. They were walking away. I love the bit on the road to Emmaus when they're, they're just totally giving up, aren't they? They're walking away. They're like, oh, whoa, what, do you not realize what's happened? It was all going so well. And Jesus comes alongside them and he reveals who he is through the scriptures. He brings them that truth that he is God, doesn't he? And they're like, and, when they, and then when their eyes are open and they see that he is who he says he is, they see that he is Jesus, that he is resurrected, they realize they have something to live for again and they run back to the other disciples to tell them and together they wait, don't they? They wait for God, Jesus, to accomplish, to fully accomplish what he's doing. And then after that, they have power, power within them, don't they? He's brought new life to them, and he's brought it for us. And we see that, don't we? When we, meet, when we see a friend who has just had that truth, that revelation of the life that God has brought for them, that peace that comes. You know, we've had that joy recently of just having dear, dear friends who have said, yeah, Jesus is my life now. And just that peace, that foundation, I just have, yeah, I just feel like crying, just thinking about the joy of hearing that from the loved ones that we've maybe been praying for and just seeing the difference between, well, I can't do it. Yeah, we can't. Utter despair. You'll know it for yourself. The, restore to me the joy of my salvation, Jesus. Remember that reality of the life that he has put in us. But he doesn't stop there. It isn't just a new spiritual reality for now. He's given us eternal life. He wants to bring life and future hope forever for all of his disciples. Life eternal. So death and death is on this earth is something we're guaranteed, isn't it? But I really love this Billy Graham quote. Someday, in fairness, he actually lifted it from uh, Moody, but, um, but actually it's really powerful. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. It's remarkable, isn't it? I love, actually, the, the original was, at that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement that is a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch. A sin cannot, that sin cannot taint, I will have a body fashioned like that of his glorious body. It's an eternal life. 
that he's given us. And he's made a way for us to be with God forever, adopted into his family. We're his, gonna be his, we are his children. And we're going to have a really safe home. That My children don't question their rights over everything I have. Sometimes I have to remind my daughter, my mascara, my shoes, my dress, they are actually mine. Um, but actually in God, we have the fullness of his inheritance, don't we? All that is his is ours. He is my God. He is your, he is my dad, Abba, Father. To all who did receive him, that's Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to have a home with him forever. That's the power of the prodigal son story, isn't it? You know, God the Father, even though the son had said, I wish you were dead already and I'm going to take my inheritance, I'm going to go and squander it. God the Father was waiting, watching and ran to him, embraced him, embraces you and me in all of our shame, in all of our utter shame, utter filth. And he kissed his face and he put his robe on him. He said, here, take mine, but I need to just be a servant. I don't deserve, no, you don't, but take this. You're my child, here's my ring. I'm going to throw a party. We're gonna, you're coming back in your home. Let's have a party. It's glorious. That is heaven, guys. That is heaven. The place he's prepared for those who love him. And the Bible teaches us more. We get more revelation, don't we, that this place is going to be a place where there's no decay and destruction. The brokenness that sin has caused will be gone. He's going to wipe away our tears. Yay. He's going to personally do it. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Nothing can spoil our relationship with him. Nothing can spoil it. And it's so much better. It's so much better. What is our belief? What home are we preparing for? Billy Graham writes this as well. He says, some people spend their lives building ultimate dream homes so they can enjoy their twilight years. Maybe you have a dream a bit like that. A big house, a beautiful view. Some find themselves exchanging their bank accounts for residence within the gates of a retirement centre. Others spend their last days in nursing homes. For those of you who don't know him, choosing your eternal home is the most important decision that you will ever make. And it's a decision you can make today. Whose life are you living? You can only have one life. You can have your original one that was destined for destruction, destined to never find its home, never find the peace that you're searching for. You can have that. You can have all the trappings of what this world has to offer, makes it look good. Or you can have mine, says Jesus. You can have my home with the Father. You can have my presence with you now. You can have my peace now. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. I am your means to get to the Father. I am the way that you can live. I am the truth that you can build your life on. I'm the truth in you and working through you. The very presence and revelation that God is with you that you can test all of your life against. If you're troubled, what am I, what am I troubled about? What am I believing? Who is, what is true here? What does God say about this? 
has God say about me, about them? You can line your life up with his truth. And he is the life. If you haven't chosen him, if you haven't put your, if you haven't chosen to say, Christ, I repent, I'm sorry. If you haven't done that and turned away from what you have and taken the offer of what Jesus is giving you, true life, life with him, then can I urge you to do that today? Please do that. Don't leave it any longer. Go away and really think about it some more. But don't ignore this massive question. There is an offer of life. And if you have put your trust in him, if you have believed in him, then God is wanting to bring new revelation about who he is. What what other areas of life is he wanting to highlight, illuminate to you? How has he empowered you? What is the truth of who he is? You are a new creation. He is alive in you and at work in you today. And you can trust him with all of your life.